Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada. In today's program, we continue our Why Christmas series with Dr. John Newfeld. So let's begin now as we explore a question about why the shepherds from our passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. We've all heard small children ask the question, why? And in this Christmas series of why, I'm trying to make sure that we don't lose the very thing that children seem to so intuitively have. The unwillingness to simply accept things the way they are without asking why. And so yesterday we asked why it was so important for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. And today we ask why shepherds were the very first people to receive the news of the birth of the Messiah. Let's let Luke tell the account. I'm reading Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, clearly, from that account, it's not that the shepherds heard from someone who heard from someone that an extraordinary child had been born that night, and they decided to go check it out, getting to the birth of the Christ child before anyone else showed up. Instead, we can see quite clearly that God directed an angel to come to them and that they had been divinely chosen to be the very first witnesses of the Incarnation. When God stepped into the world in human form, he chose shepherds to come before the Christ child. And like little children, we're not content with simply noticing that this is the way things are, but rather we're going to ask the question, why? Now, before we attempt the answer, let's notice what the angel told them. The child is a savior. That's the first title. A savior, of course, for us has a very specific meaning, but for them is simply one who comes to rescue. The second title for the child is the Christ or the Messiah. From the perspective of the only Bible that these men knew, the Old Testament, the idea of the Messiah was profound. And thirdly, the child is called by the title Lord, which can be a title for God. Now, before we object and say, yeah, well, but what can these rough shepherds actually know about things like that? These announcements probably just went right over their heads. Furthermore, many of us have been taught that as a general rule, shepherds were thought of as despised by the rest of the culture, even thought of as thieves, and that they were not permitted to be witnesses in court. Such was their reputation that they were thought of as liars. 
But when these kind of things get said about shepherds, I fear that those who say these things are drawing their information from sources in rabbinic Judaism dating from the 5th century AD that is long after these events. See, that would be like talking about the reputations of, let's say, stonemasons in our day in North America from what God said about them in the 1600s. See, we wouldn't do that. And neither should we think of shepherds at the time of the birth of Christ as thieves and people who had bad reputations. In truth, shepherds, whenever they're mentioned in the Bible, are mentioned in a positive manner. Abraham, Moses, David were all shepherds. The great leaders of Israel had been shepherds. And furthermore, since the shepherds in our stories were tending sheep in the vicinity of Bethlehem, it is possible, even likely, that some of the sheep that they were raising would have been used for the daily sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. So we might say that they had a kind of a semi-sacred occupation. Furthermore, Since these men were no doubt Jews, like all Jewish men, they would have been trained in the accounts of the Messiah from the Old Testament. We shouldn't think of them as ignorant, who who could not have understood what the angels meant when they called the child a Savior and the Christ and the Lord. No, there are a great many blue-collar workers in our day who know their Bible very well, and there were a great many shepherds in that day who knew their Bibles as well. All that to say, it makes no sense to answer the question of why shepherds by saying that God always chooses the rejected and the despised in society to come to the birth of the Christ child. Yep, that's true, that Christ draws the lowly and the despised, but I'm not at all convinced that this is the image that we should think of when we think of the shepherds, nor would anyone reading in the first century have thought those things. And with that, I ask, why shepherds? See, I, for my part, can think of a number of appropriate people who could have served as excellent eyewitnesses to the birth of Christ, and they would have adequately symbolized who the Christ is. Remember, for instance, in John's gospel, John begins by describing Jesus as the word made flesh. And so I think it would have been entirely appropriate to have godly theologians and Bible teachers there who know how to handle the word. Or since Jesus was to be known as the King of Kings, why not have great kings show up? And by the way, the wise men or the magi that Matthew mentions are definitely not kings. No three kings came from the east. The magi did. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Or if you want an image of of someone in a lowly profession, why not carpenters? After all, Jesus himself would have served with his father as a carpenter. I hope you see what I'm trying to do. I want us to become childlike again and really begin to ask why questions about the birth of Jesus. Why did God send an angel to shepherds out in a field? Is there something that God wanted to communicate in his choice of shepherds being the first visitors of Jesus? And does the fact that God chose shepherds to be there at the birth of Jesus make any difference for me today or the way in which I celebrate Christmas? And to that last question, I give a resounding answer, yes. So let's get back to our question, why shepherds? As a part of the answer, I want us to go back to the history of shepherds as we find them in the Old Testament. You'll remember that I said that Abraham was a shepherd. And I suppose the accurate thing to say is that Abraham had many sheep, but he also had oxen and donkeys. In fact, in Genesis 13 verse 2, it says that Abraham was rich in livestock as well as silver and in gold. 
But by the time you get to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, you're going to recall that in order to pay for the bridal price of his wife, he's involved with his father-in-law's sheep. And then when Jacob's family moves to Egypt at the end of his life, five of his sons or five of Joseph's brothers stand before Pharaoh. And in, in Genesis 47, verse 3, we read, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. See, that is the standard occupation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that they were shepherds. Now, keep that in mind as we move forward to the time in which the aged Jacob, now nearing the time of his death, not only meets his grandsons, the two sons of Joseph, but he also blesses them. And here's how Genesis 48, 15 to 16 records Jacob's blessing. It says, And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. See, isn't it fascinating that as Jacob pursued his profession as a shepherd all his life, he saw in his profession a similarity between that profession and the kind of God that he had. God, said Jacob, has been my shepherd all my life long. What he was saying is that he has been like one of his sheep and that God has been his shepherd. So much could be said here. Sheep are prone to wander, to go astray. Sheep have no natural defenses against a predator, and their nature makes them easy prey. Sheep naturally wander, and were it not for a shepherd, sheep could not survive. Jacob thought that he was like one of his own sheep, and were it not for the steady and protecting and guiding hand of his God, he and his family would have perished a long time earlier. After all, they were nomads in the land of Canaan, and opposing forces could have destroyed them quickly, but God had protected his sheep. And that image forms the basis of an essential image of God in the Old Testament. And we'll trace this thought through to the shepherds at the manger when we come back. Have you ever asked this question, why the shepherds? What's the reason that God chose them to be the very first witnesses of Jesus' birth? Whatever views we may have heard about the reputation of shepherds in ancient Israel, this introduction has begun to shed a different light on who they were. When we return, Dr. Neufeld helps us discover more about this age-old profession and what it reveals about the nature of God and the significance for us as we celebrate Christmas. Thanks for listening today. You know, it's December and we're on a mission to meet our year-end ministry goal by the end of this month. And that's why we're making this special appeal to all of our listeners right across the country. If you share our passion and commitment for God's Word and desire for more people to hear its life-giving truths, then please consider a gift today. Whether it's $50, $100, or even $1,000, any amount would mean so much as we strive to reach our ministry goal. We're so grateful for all of our faithful partners who enable us to continue our 58-year legacy of teaching the Bible and its truth for life to Canadians on the air from coast to coast. To make your gift, visit us at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. Mm-hmm. 
The importance of the image of God as our shepherd is an essential Old Testament image. Most of us are very familiar with Psalm 23, verse 1, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Or Psalm 28, verses 8 and 9, also a Psalm of David says, The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. But here's where things get really interesting. Not only is God portrayed as our shepherd, but God appoints leaders over his people, and these leaders are often described in terms of a shepherd. Furthermore, we should remember that when Samuel showed up in Bethlehem to anoint the next king of Israel, he is told that the next king will be one of the sons of a man named Jesse. And so Jesse has, one after another, his sons stand before Samuel, and God tells Samuel, well, that's not the man. The the Lord has not chosen one of these. And so Samuel asks Jesse, are all your sons here? And then, according to 1 Samuel 16, verse 11, Jesse responds by saying, there remains yet the young but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And as many of us know, the Bible makes so much of that. Psalm 78, a psalm of Asaph, in verses 70 to 72, we read, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. What better training could David have had that prepared him for the kingship of Israel than the training of a shepherd? Before David went up against Goliath, he explained to Saul why all that experience as a shepherd made him ready for that moment. I'm reading 1 Samuel 17, 34-36. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if it rose against him, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Now, I hope from this passage we can see how different the concept of kingship was in Israel compared to the nations around them. Kings in the ancient world often proclaimed themselves to be deity. They became wealthy from using the people for their own advantage and lived off their superiority over the people. But Israel's king was to be a shepherd whose fundamental duty it was to protect the sheep from predators and destroy those who would destroy the sheep, even at the risk of their own lives. Now, that was the ideal, but it wasn't always like that. Ezekiel, the prophet in his day, would condemn the so-called shepherds of Israel. I'm reading from Ezekiel 34, 2-4. Our shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves should not shepherds feed the sheep. You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with a wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak ones you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the stray you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Well, there's a picture of the kind of leadership structure that God had mandated for Israel and the wholesale refusal of the leaders of Israel to adopt just such a structure. But in this condemnation, we see exactly what the idea of shepherding was to provide. Shepherds, or leaders in Israel were to feed the people, heal the sick, bind up the injured, bring back the stray, and seek after the lost. Those five things formed the basis of biblical leadership. 
Now we're ready to look at the kind of leadership Jesus provided in the New Testament. Listen to how Jesus describes himself recorded in John 10, 11 to 15. There he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Then Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. In Jesus' description of himself, we can see that he emphasizes two essential aspects of being a shepherd. First, he sacrifices himself for the sheep. He's not asking what the sheep can do for him. He is offering himself up for the sheep. And secondly, he does so out of the love he has for the sheep. He knows them and they know him. Now, we should notice how often the New Testament borrows from that and personalizes it. In Luke 15, verse 4, Jesus tells a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? That's the picture of Jesus. In Hebrews 13, verse 20, the writer of Hebrews calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. And in Revelation 7, verse 17, when all things have been said and done, when the great tribulation is over, and when all the saints of God have been brought home, John tells us, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. See, that's a beautiful image. In the time of eternity, we will see Jesus both as our Passover lamb, the one who was slaughtered for our sins, and as our great shepherd, who is the source of all of our satisfaction for all of eternity. Now, we could chase that image down further, showing, for instance, how in the New Testament, New Testament church leaders are to be shepherds, as 1 Peter 5 verse 2 says, shepherd the flock that is among you. But let's not get distracted, and let's return to our fundamental question of why shepherds were the very first invitees to stand before the Messiah, the King of Israel, and the King of the world, the Son of God, come into the midst of them. And I'm going to offer three reasons to the question of why shepherds. Reason number one, God brought shepherds for who else could illustrate that this one lying in a shepherd's feeding trough was one of their own. This person, Jesus, is the greatest of all shepherds who have ever served in this exalted office, and that's so lovely. You need a shepherd, and so do I. You're incapable of defending yourself against the one who comes to ravage your soul. Satan comes to kill and steal and destroy, and he can destroy you as easily as a wolf or a lion can devour a sheep. But unto you this day is born a shepherd who, like David, will kill the lion and the bear as long as he watches over you. No harm will befall you. What better way than that to illustrate that point? Second, God brought shepherds that day to illustrate that the first duty of every shepherd of God's people, every pastor, every elder, every leader among the people of God is to bow and worship before the chief shepherd. There can be no greater task of any shepherd than to proclaim what the angels did, that this child is the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. There can be no greater call for any shepherd than to come and to bow down to the chief shepherd and to swear allegiance unto him. 
And the third reason is one that up till now I've, I've only hinted at. Remember that these shepherds were very likely, among other things, raising sheep prepared to be sacrificed in the temple. In essence, these shepherds were coming to claim their sheep, the one to be slaughtered at the altar of the Lord, whose blood would once for all remove the sins of all those who look to him. And it is for this reason that I find the angel's invitation of shepherds to be such a rich image. This is the account of of one of the most enduring images that runs through our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation. Who else would be more suitable before the manger than shepherds? Indeed, who else would possibly have been invited? And so like children asking the why question, pondering why it is that shepherds were invited, we find ourselves lost in the wonder of the profound and deeply rich accounts of the birth of Jesus. Angels sent by God came to shepherds. To God be the glory. John, that was great. It really made me think about some of the things I'd never thought about before. And, and you know, like you said, you, you follow the scripture through, and that's so important. We not only want people to hear the word, but we want them to understand how to follow through on the word themselves. How do you do that? You know, I need to give credit to where credit is due. Dr. Warren Wearsby, who was, you know, my predecessor here at Back the Bible, uh, I took a course from him years and years ago where he taught me to follow this kind of a theme all the way through the Scripture. And it has really transformed my Bible study. So I'm not only doing verse-by-verse Bible teaching, but I'll take some wider themes and see how those themes get developed all the way from Genesis to Revelation and gain a biblical picture of doing that. So if Warren, if you're listening, thank you very much for that. That has really transformed the way in which I do Bible study. God bless you, brother. I hope that after our study today, you've gained a better understanding of why the shepherds were the very first ones to hear about and see the Savior. What a great overview we've had to really get a sense of who they were throughout the history of the Old Testament and how significant their role was. Indeed, we know that Jesus himself is called the Good Shepherd, and God is the one who ultimately leads us, the sheep. Now we can understand why he revealed the babe Jesus to them first, the babe who was the shepherd of all shepherds. In this series so far, we've begun a fascinating journey into exploring the whys of Christmas with a childlike curiosity. Join us again tomorrow as we explore another important topic with Dr. Neufeld, Why the Magi? Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Have you been on one of our unique cruise vacations? Well, we've got a great one coming up in 2016, and we'd love you to join us. Back to the Bible Canada and Laugh Again present the very first ever Alaska Adventure Cruise aboard the Celebrity Infinity, one of the sea's finest ships. From July 3rd to the 10th, 2016, you can join us as we sail to one of the most beautiful locations in the world. Enjoy all the ship has to offer, great meals, entertainment, and more. But not only will this be a great adventure, but also a chance to be spiritually refreshed in God's Word, as we hear from Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, who will share stories to make us laugh and reflect, and finally, worship and Christian music artist Amanda Stott. So don't wait and register early as we expect this cruise to sell out. 
You can find out more by visiting backtothebible.ca or calling us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. And please remember that all costs related to any of our ministry events are met solely by those who choose to participate.